imagine a machine. The device was built with the sole purpose of destroying all human life. Now suppose that that machine is buried deep underground, but connected to a computer. It's Wednesday, December 16th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you the delicious tech news headlines and all the gossipy hot takes you can handle with your hosts, Tyler Gates, myself, Russ Cantwell, and... Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) There is no Aaron Bewley today. Uh, He could not join us, unfortunately, Uh, but he will be back as always. How's it going, fella? Fella. <laughs> it's going good, Russ. Good to see you this morning. Yep, see you because see you. we've shifted from Zencaster back to Zoom for various reasons. And we're That's right. actually playing with the we video can stuff. Literally see each other now. I feel very shaggy. Um when I'm I on very, screen. I got chicken hair. So Wow. Yeah, you do. Yeah. That's it's, uh, get that looked at. You know, it's uh, chicken hair. I always thought it was cowlicks. I don't head. know. This is just my wife calls it chicken hair whenever I wake oh. up and uh, it looks like this. And then I scramble after the show to go shower and uh, not have chicken hair because I'll be on Chickens video all day. Hair? I, I don't know. We're hairless. I just don't argue with her about it. Yeah, she grew well, up that's smart. You know, on a ranch, so she knows more about this than I do. Smart. Oh, nice. She's got a background too. All right. Yeah, moving right. on. <laughs> uh, man, so uh, not, well, yeah, actually, there is a ton of news today. I don't think we're going to get into every little bit of it, but uh, holy cow, um, Tech Meme has a thing for Facebook today. So Yeah, there's definitely a theme today, and it yeah. is Facebook. My, my, my. And then obviously, there's some updates on uh, the SolarWinds you know, supply chain attack. Uh, saw some interesting things there. Mm-hmm. But uh, what, do you, what do you think we start with? Uh, neither one of them. Yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, start off a little bit more lighthearted. I, I think it's something that it doesn't necessarily affect you, but I do believe you're in this ecosystem. So Samsung is confirming stylus support for the upcoming Galaxy phones, mm-hmm. the uh, the S21, which I think a lot of people are believing is going to release earlier this year. So maybe maybe January, a little so sooner. Next year. I was like, wow, earlier this year. It's pretty late. To make it <laughs> it's pretty late bold. to be early. Bold. Bold. <laughs> <laughs> But the reason why this is interesting is because it there has been an, uh, numerous reports that have sort of hinted at the fact that the Note line of phones, which I believe you have maybe at least used in the past, maybe used today, I have one. I, I yeah. use a Note now, yeah. Uh, are going to be replaced just by the S line. They're not. They're not necessarily going to release two different flagship phones throughout the year. So does that mean? So I, I read stylus support is coming. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean integrated stylus, which I think was always one of the hallmark features of the Note. Um, right, like literally comes with a stylus. It has a little it's port it's that it's, in it. yeah. Yeah, slit, it slides into. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to go about doing that, but it's just another thing that's leading towards the the possibility that the Note isn't going to sure. be there. You know, another thing that the Note used to be, and this is this was kind of the first thing that that started this, was it was... It was the OG Ultra, meaning it they, was. they now have versions of Ultra Big phones that fatty. are just like every spec that you could possibly throw at it. Yep. And that's what the Note was. And now you have the Samsung Galaxy S Ultra that has like a 9.7-inch <laughs> screen. and We rag on Xbox, but small. good Lord, <laughs> oh. is the Samsung lineup. One, because there are so many Samsung phones. Oh, there's two, so because many. Unless you're in the market to buy a phone right now, like just understanding their naming conventions isn't worth your time. It's no. that complicated. Nope. Which, by the way, <laughs> meaning getting rid of one of them probably makes a whole lot of sense. It's just interesting because they, they have moved to a point to where I guess now with phones, uh, especially sort of diminishing returns that we're getting on some of the spec releases, you might as well just throw all of your, you know, Hail Mary specs uh, into, into one device and be like, yeah, let's not worry about that one. We've already, you know, it, another big distinction used to be the screen size. The Note was oh, yeah. for note-taking, and it was massive. It was big. Now, yeah, I think I had the, the phone four. releases with two or three sizes. Yeah, I, I think I had the first Note I had was the Note 4, and it was like diagonally like two inches bigger than every other phone on the market at the time, uh, which was very useful for note-taking and kind of a pain for like literally everything else. And I think I have a note, I have a note nine now and it has a comfortable width for a hand, uh, except that I have 
tiny thumbs, so I can't really do the one-handed <laughs> full-blown typing yep. or operation. Um, but I have found that I am far less likely to use the note pen these days. So I, I could totally see that evaporating, and I don't sure. think I would care at all. It's good to use on the tablet. I have the note Galaxy Tab, or it's the Galaxy Tab S7 that has like the same pen as the note. And uh, it works really yeah. well there for certain yeah. circumstances, especially I, like I liked the going pen. to a conference, um, like I, using like writing notes. Uh, yeah, handwritten like, notes. Sure. Yeah, it's really nice. So what's crazy is I'm, I'm looking up the screen size of the original Galaxy Note. What do you think it is? <laughs> it's probably like the original. Uh, the original. Gosh, because I didn't, I didn't have the original. Um, I, like four and a half inches or something. <laughs> it's so it is. It's a little bigger than that. It's five three. Five, but if you think okay. about five three, the small versions of phones these days yeah. are around five. I actually have the yeah. what people believe to be like the smaller of two phones, and the second phone never released. But it's six inches. So like my Pixel wow. five, which people believe is I didn't realize it was that big. A lot of times yeah. is actually a six inch screen. So how it's just funny is, how uh, that's if, if how it's came along. Googling away, what's uh, how big is the Note Nine? I don't even know. Ooh, how big the phone I, I'm I use so I'm going to take right a guess. Is. While I Google, I'm going to say it's six point nine inches. Ah. Note. Oh wait, Note Nine. Wait, that one's note probably nine. six five. Is my guess. That sounds reasonable. The newest Note, I think, is six nine. Okay, so 2018, six point four inch screen. Six four. Cool. Wow. Yeah. The big thing that's changed over time, obviously, is like the screen to body ratio, meaning the bezels have basically disappeared. My yes. phone is completely yeah, yeah, yeah. bezel-less. There's not a bezel which, on my which phone. Which I, I I like in general and in, in practice, I think it's pretty good, um, except I hate the curved edges of screens. I hate that that became oh. a thing. Oh, well, you might be excited then because Samsung, uh, there's some, there's been some leaked images. They are showing a flat screen on the good. S21. Line. I think I think curved screens are dumb. Uh, I don't know that they ever served a very useful purpose other than not. being far more likely to break. Yep. Uh, I and agree. That, never liked the curved garbage. screen. Was not a fan, uh, which is why I don't think I've actually ever owned a phone that had a full curved screen. I had the Galaxy this S7, the which had like a slightly one, but not one that went all the way to the complete uh, side of the phone. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so but that was, was that's when I learned to hate it, though. Where's the S7? Actually, I think I had an S7, and I didn't like it then. And the, I got the, the bigger version of the S7 had like the full, the full curved, mm. for sure. I don't remember if I had the big one or not. See, mm. I'm not. Well, anyways, big Samsung news. Huge. Rolling. Huge. Uh, well, keeping it lighthearted, um, Curtis Bunker shared something I thought was interesting and figured you'd have a, an opinion about or a thought or two, if not some uh, tidbits in general, which is uh, some news in the retro emulation FBGA gaming Ooh. sector. And uh, I guess the, the Atari VCS uh, SN, SNKP official, which I'm not mm -hmm. familiar with, and uh, new Neo Geo consoles are destined for 21 deliveries. Um that's fun stuff, and I know I know there are a few people in the industry. Uh, Jonas Rosalind and Duncan Epping both come to mind that are big time retro gamers. So if you guys listen, or if you don't, and you want to come on the show, we totally love to have you. But what do you know about that, Russ? Yeah, so the SNK is actually new to me. I was actually looking at the uh, just kind of the some of the Twitter links that he had given us, like literally profile links. And I had not seen this one. It's, it's definitely showing a bunch of different fighting games. I don't know if it's dedicated to retro fighting games, um, but those are right? obviously, yeah. So big to it. So, uh, but the Atari VCS has been a pretty big deal for a while. Um, basically the, what, what they're doing is they are releasing sort of a, true to form retro console that is basically a computer. It's a Linux computer at the end of the day, but it looks a lot like the original Atari and it comes cool. with peripherals that look a lot like yeah. it. Yeah, Give me that original these black games. joystick with one button on top and I'm going to be, I wanted to buy this and I may still buy it, but I would be curious as to if you can guess the price of this. Ooh. Oh, really? Is it? Yeah. Uh, and consider your audience for a moment. Like I didn't I just go immediately buy this. Wow. 
What what number would it take for me yeah, to look at for a you to not thing do it and be goodness. like I'm not just pulling the trigger immediately? I, I gut would have told me it, it should have been like two hundred bucks, but that's totally something that you would have just gone. Oh yeah, two hundred so, bucks, and I might have so a couple of these for an Atari. I'm gonna go with like six fifty. It's not that high. It's actually I Thank think it's four hundred. Yeah, um, but that's it was four hundred, meaning it was geez. the same price as like what you would get one of the yeah, new like a modern or. Yeah, tier one console. Hundred percent. Yeah, and so Maybe that that's not fair. I struggled with that one. a little bit. I mean, wow. now granted, it is multi-purpose. Like you can actually use this as a Linux PC and a media box, mm-hmm. and you can do other things. Uh, but I just, I do have a couple random retro things. Like I have this like Game Boy kind of look-alike remake thing that I bought. It was twenty that's bucks, cool. you know. Like it's, yeah, there you, you go. So the, Art, the Atari VCS is most certainly meant to be something that you will play and experience. And I yeah, still want to get it because I want for my nephews and that. like my daughter to be able to play it one day. I just kind of am, um, am yeah, hoping that's, that it... That's I, that's I want to get it for like 300 bucks. Uh, <laughs> that makes it all better. No, I would say that's a steep premium for the nostalgia factor in my I opinion, agree. right? Like yeah, 100%. You, you, can, you can get your hands very easily, very freely and legally on uh, you know retro gaming consoles right if you want to buy one outright or if you want to turn a raspberry pi using retro pi or any any of the other retro arc arcade based systems into um i mean you can get all the arcade games they're they're freely available at this point um if, unless i'm yeah i know i'm pretty sure most of those consoles have ex- exceeded the copyright limit so you can actually freely get those games so like from a retro play the game perspective, why would you pay four hundred dollars for that? That's kind of if how you I want feel. the look and feel. That's a pretty healthy premium for a look and feel. And don't get me wrong, they've really done something special with it. And that's the cool. bundle comes with like a more modern controller as well as a traditional joystick. That ah, fun. With. Uh, and like I'm telling you, like it lo- it has the same look. That is that is the, cool. The original Atari. Uh, it looks to me like well, you can get a deal right now. You can save ten dollars off of it and pay three eighty nine. Huge. So, That's huge. Yeah, it's. Uh, got to feel like you're getting a deal. You do got to feel wow, like you're getting a deal. What a, what a generous <laughs> so, and free shipping. I'm going to be sure. interested to see the. Uh, actually, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it does show a uh, ad for GameStop, which uh, I imagine is is doing decently well right now with the sale of consoles. But traditionally, has been a, yeah. a struggling business since everything's gone digital. Yeah, they've they've been hurting. Um, but yeah, I bet you're right with all the uh, console sales. A lot of people I will be take their games very out. interested to see sales figures of this. Um, you know, some you know this time next year type of thing. Yeah. And see how many have actually gone well, gone down that route. I wonder. Well, yeah, I don't even think it'll take that long, right? GameStop, we should be able to see their their sales figures and their private. We'll definitely be able to see their sales figures, but um, you know, people may be ordering directly off of this Atari VCS website. Oh, I see what you're saying. Specifically for Atari VCS, my bad. Yeah, no, we can we can bring Nicholson on and we can talk about GameStop sales all day long. Like that's there you go. Uh, next next uh, financial Friday, we'll have to do that. Well, hey, while I got you on the gaming topic, um, I was Ooh. actually having an interesting conversation with neighbors last night, and um, I was curious if you knew what the I, I don't even know how to ask this question right. So maybe I'll give you context. We, we kind of got into the conversation about you know like people watching people play video games, mm-hmm. and um, and I, I was talking about a lot of the information you have dropped on the show, just about the size of the industry, you know, the total amount of uh, fans, the the amounts of money that are built up around this. And one of my neighbors sort of, he was pushing back against it in general. Um, yeah. uh, his, his perspective on the call me is all that uncommon. Well, I basically did. I was like, man, you got it. You got to meet Russ. Um, but uh, I, what I was curious, one comment he made was the likelihood of let's just, throw a random age out, you know, five to 10 year old kid mm-hmm. right now, actually being able to get to the point where they can make money off of call it streaming or competitive gaming. Like how competitive is getting to a, an earning spot, right? Sure. Do you, uh, you have so a feel? I, I do have a feel. Um, and it's, this is basically conjecture. I mean, this is me. This is my own thought on this, sure. but I believe the percentages are just as likely as becoming a professional athlete. 
So, well, so I, I would argue that depending on what you're comparing it to, it's, you're, you're quite possibly more likely one, because there are more fans, right? Globally, there are more people that that are available to you. There There are also more people doing it, which is where the question really comes. Like, can you pay your mortgage with this sort of emotion? But compared to a sport like golf, for instance, the gross majority of golfers, even semi or professional, do not make enough money to function entirely off of golf. Sure. It's a small percentage of people at the top of golf that actually really pay the bills with golf as a sport. Sure. I would not be surprised to see that a higher percentage of uh, professional gamers actually pay the bills off of gaming. I, yeah, I just don't I, know the numbers. That's, well, it, it, so it's going to be relative, right? Because there's so many. Um, there's, it, so if you do it to like gamers in general, you're looking at crazy crazy low percentages because there's billions of gamers. Well, but, but gamers that are trying to be professional. I rode a bike one time, but I am not a semi-professional bike rider. Right. Well, you you would mean, have to quantify in the same <laughs> way I think we quantify people who are like in the workforce but don't have a job, like they're looking for a job yeah, type of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, but the So I will say I, it's hard for me to say what the percentages will be, but I can tell you that the people who are doing it like full-time and they're sticking with it most of those people are making a good enough living to be able to pay the bill. So to give you an indication, we were even talking about, so Call of Duty, big game, obviously. Like most people know Call of Duty. Sure. But when you think of it from Quite a competitive franchise. perspective, other than the fact that I'm wearing a Dallas Empire shirt right now, which is <laughs> <laughs> the Call of Duty team for Dallas, um, it's, it's a very small esport. Um, so to give you an indication, Counter-Strike, big tournament, it's going to get over a million concurrent viewers easily. You'll have 30 million unique viewers view a tournament. Call of Duty is going to have like 50,000 people during most matches. If Optic is playing, you'll get 180,000 people watching it. And you may get 300,000 unique viewers. Like It's quite a bit smaller, mm-hmm. um, but it has money poured into it based on the popularity of the game. So like there's one guy who was talking about he had a bad year last year and people were, you know, kind of giving him crap for it. He goes, yeah, that half mil still hit the bank auto draft every two weeks. And that was, that was his response. So he was, you know, he was making 500 grand as a contracted Call of Duty player. And, and so that was an interesting thing because those types of things make it feel like, oh my gosh, this is a bubble. When is it going to burst? Because there is no way at all that he generates five hundred thousand dollars of interesting for that yeah unlike so for instance lebron they give him a max contract he's gonna make 25 ish million dollars a year he generates way more than 25 million dollars a year yeah that's and that's easy to see like that it's not even close um but for a lot of these esports teams a lot of them are a lot of these are still investment entities like they're still waiting for the return they're growing the the whole yeah, ecosystem. so on the esports front, it's these people do make enough money because they are being overinvested into. Mm. The the more sustainable one is actually the, Twi- the Twitch streamer, which I would not consider a professional video game. No, player. no, no, fair, but but uh, in in fact, streaming specifically is is what started the conversation because mm-hmm. I, I think the the kids were watching a YouTube video of like a car simulator where it's just throwing cars into like silos and stuff, and they were just enthralled with it, right? And and yeah. Both of both of my uh, both of the dads were just like, "Why is this even a thing?" And but the boys in particular, the boys were just like holding the side of the table and watching these cars get launched in a simulator. It was is goofy. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. I've had this conversation with a few people, and and I actually myself, I don't watch a lot of independent streamers. So mm. you know, people who just play the game just in sure. general. I, I am almost exclusively watching an esports tournament and if i'm not right. like if i, I may just have the tv on and it happens to be one of the people who is a professional player that i just have their stream on because i just need background noise but i don't <laughs> watch a lot of those specific ones so i do struggle with it at times but i will tell you i've seen this conversation happen over and over and over again and there are a large amount of people who get stressed out by the difficulty of playing games but hmm. they are 
they are fans of games. Yeah, so they I'm watching. enjoy watching it way more than they do playing it in a lot of circumstances, really especially if they're bad at them and they're like, <laughs> to see and feel what it's like to be good and so be they good. That's live awesome. vicariously through Shroud or, or whatever it might be. And, and so that's a big aspect of it. Another one is, and this is probably the biggest, is the interaction. When you watch a pro sports team play or anything, like you get no real interaction, not only with the the people. Who oh, I see play, what you're saying. You, you don't from the actual streamer, you know, they, exactly. they are. They're responding to the chats and stuff like that. That's that's interesting. Yeah, they're they're getting it from the from the streamer and they're getting it from the people in the chat. Now, I don't participate in the Twitch chat at all. I, it's difficult for me to recognize what's going on in there because it's just spam. It's it's awful. I, I don't know why so people like it. Garbage. Yeah, I've but it is a that. huge element of this this space is the that's interaction. People will pay the streamer to have different emotes put into the chat and things like that. So that there is wild. an interactive piece to yeah. this that I don't think people recognize. They see the, mm. they see the piece that's like, Oh, well they're just watching this guy play a game. Why wouldn't they go play it themselves? And everyone's going to throw back. Well, you watch people play basketball. Why don't you go? Yeah, play? Okay, of course. Well, it was harder to do. No, it's not. People go play basketball. All the <laughs> it's time. Not. Like <laughs> I, I, I've done it for years. And so the, the struggle is, is like some of these people are just better. Yeah. Uh, and and what you're doing is not easy. Like to play a game the way some of these other people are playing a game, you have to take very explicit measures to get to that point. Just mm -hmm. like to play basketball or football. Yeah, sure. It's it, well, and and that was the course of the conversation. It's like if, yep, it if always kids is. gonna if kids gonna pour their effort into something, is is it any more viable than sports, or is it is it that viable? I was curious specifically about the uh, the number side of that that question because I in just to be perfectly fair, like my neighbors were basic, basically saying, I don't know that I would pour a ton of attention into either of those, right? Whether it's sports or video games, like sure. it being viable, it is so difficult because it's ultra competitive to, to make that your thing. But um, I, I was just saying that roughly I would expect them to be on similar footing at this point, but it kind of sounds like it, it's still young. Maybe, maybe the equal footing is just because money's being poured into it, but it, leveling out over time maybe it's maybe it's not that equal right now it's going to take more time and if, if to close the topic i would say for the parents out there the one thing that i would look to gaming that that it doesn't provide like if, i wouldn't look at what it does provide because i believe that there are similar benefits on both sides but there is one struggle that i that i have and this is something i encountered i grew up as a very competitive athlete through college and everything and uh, one thing I learned is competitiveness. I mean, like how to be a competitor, mm. how to win, how to lose, how to act. And do so graciously. Yeah. Gamers do not understand this. Like, they <laughs> do not understand true competitive behavior. To give you an example, playing Counter-Strike, the pistol round is incredibly valuable. Meaning if you lose the pistol round, you probably lose anywhere from two to four rounds. Like there's a, there's a very high likelihood. It's, it's, it's a fourth of the rounds needed to win the match. So it's very valuable. There are a whole lot of people who, if you lose the pistol round, you they have lost drop. them mentally. They, mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, it's over. It's done. Whatever. We're done. Like they, they can't fathom it. Like last night you were it. down eight. Oh, at one point, and we brought that game back to lose 16-13. Like we we made it competitive because I had yeah. four other mid thirties people who we've been playing for twenty years. We've all played sports. Like we understand the nature of of being competitive. Yeah. And and this is something that esports struggle with. And it's a lot of it is we don't have the structure through a system that sports has, where you're in middle school, yeah. high school, college. That makes bro. sense. Well, and you don't you have gain a lot of right? life skills, yes, <laughs> from the coaches that you don't get out of the gaming space. And that would be the one thing. If I'm a parent, I am teaching how to be a competitor along the way if they're not in a structured program to do that for them. Now, granted, there are there are programs now at schools, actually SHI, we we help build them. Uh, we help build esports programs for That's schools. Cool. We'll set up facilities, we'll set up educational programs and do things like that. Uh, so there is actually a lot of effort going around into this, but it is not well established. There's probably 10 high schools that in the country sense. that have it and 10 colleges that have it. Wow. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's yeah. growing, but that's the thing to watch out for is no yeah, structure, sure. like developmental growth of the human, which sports do have. Yeah, no, that, that's actually really interesting. That's uh, exactly why I brought it up too. I knew you'd have a lot of perspective there. So that's, that is cool. But 
I think we should hop on to something different now. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell me, tell me about all this Facebook news. I, I saw the one actually that jumped off the page to me. Um, and this is going to be funny in the grand scheme of things. Cause I think mm-hmm. some of the other ones were more, uh, dramatic, but, uh, apparently Facebook is releasing a, a summary bot, uh, for lack of a better way to say it. And they're going to call it Why? TLDR, which I am going to give it a thumbs up for the name. <laughs> I like that name. I really do. Uh, it, that is like total nostalgia for me. TLDR is just the internet. That's, you know, hard stop, but, uh, too long. Didn't read for anyone who's listening. and isn't familiar with that. Um, I used to, my SSID, my Wi-Fi SSID at home was TLDR forever. I just, it's, I'm fond, but I don't actually good. understand why Facebook is doing this because they already exist. They're everywhere. Uh, there's there one that I have used in the past. I won't say I use it all the time, but um, it's called uh, Summary S M M R Y. Uh, it's been out forever. You just you can drop a link into it, and it will summarize the article, and it's pretty what? good. It will re- remove something no. like something like eighty percent of an article will be removed, and it it pretty consistently will give you the theme of the article, and it does it in no seconds. Uh, I, I learned about it from Reddit because there's a, actually a bot that used to be a little more prevalent on Reddit that would take news articles because that was a big part of Reddit's sort of real-time engagement. And a comment would be auto-posted from the bot that had it, – it shows you the percent reduction, right? So it'll tell you I reduced this from – 56% of the article that I just <laughs> exactly that I just did. And, and if you read it, I'd say nine out of 10 times that summary-based bot comment would be the heart of the article. It was enough to say, ah, okay, I got a little bit out of this. And my point being, they've been around for a very long time and they're pretty good at what they do. Why do I need Facebook's version? Yeah, this is a very rudimentary web page. I'm not sure. Add. Yeah, it looks no, like something it's that was uh, made in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, super simple. <laughs> so I guess you know it, it is interesting. I don't think because because Aaron had kind of sent this in the in our in our group chat. Yeah. I when I read the headline, I don't think I recognized what it was. I guess in my mind, it was more sinister. It was like we're going to just provide you. You know, too long didn't read portions of your articles, and you can no need to ever go click on these things again. It was like they're trying to take the clicks away from yeah. from other I, you know from other entities. I is sort of the way I read it, and so uh, it seems to me like there's actually a somewhat practical use to this. Th- no, there is, and and you know what? It's funny because I did not get time to read this article. I saw the the uh, the, the top sort of the headline, if you will. And informed my opinion, which I think is the point. I think they're trying to do this, maybe not to compete with something like this very rudimentary but very effective SMMROI, but more to get people to actually consume the content instead of just reading a headline for an opinion and moving on. Like I, I am, I am highlighting exactly why this is probably necessary on a platform yeah. like Facebook. Hundred percent, because you're more likely to read. S- you know, 25% of the article's depth and get more from it than just the headline than you are to read the whole thing, perhaps. I agree. hundred so. percent. People have very short attention spans and you need to be able to digest things very quickly. Uh, I, I got another thing for Facebook and it's, it's adorable. I just, everything about it. I love, I cannot wait to say these words because <laughs> I love me some good irony. <laughs> Facebook slams Apple's new privacy measures <laughs> in full page newspaper ads. We're oh, hitting with the subquote pot, of we are standing the black up much? to Apple for small businesses everywhere. Oh, I almost fell out of my damn chair. Yeah, that's it. it's laughable, right? And and it's funny because I feel like comments I made about Epic and the game that they played uh, with um, oh gosh, who were they? They're messing with Apple as well, right? Um, So uh, there's something to be said about someone having the resources and gusto to really go fight back against another megacorp that's doing something that is bad for the little guy but I don't for one second believe that that's Facebook's intent. (laughs) I think that they are a privacy nightmare and 
all of their revenue comes from that. And they do not like what Apple is trying to do. So here's <laughs> for here's their where, own purposes. Here's where it gets better because the title is funny because it's taken out of context. Here's where we made the assumption in reading the title that they were upset with Apple for having poor privacy measures. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This is actually the most Facebook thing it could possibly be. They're upset with Apple for actually making things more private. So what they're actually upset about at the end of the day ends up being Facebook has ran a series of full-page newspaper ads, which, by the way, waste of money. Um, attacking targeting. planned changes to the iOS for, or to iOS 14 that will make it harder to track users. So I think that uh, iOS 14 basically instituted some form of sandboxing of the independent uh, individual apps that makes it to where going from app to app, you're That's not the following the user. Uh, yeah. And so it, there's been a lot of stuff about this because obviously so much of internet activity is based upon where you're going and like the different sites, your, your path through the internet and, and basically what they show you from an ad perspective. So Facebook says that the move will be devastating to small small businesses. So I definitely see where the yeah. uh, the correlation is and where Facebook's coming from and in the tongue-in-cheek part of it is gone because the, the, the title was just so incredible. Uh, but well, the, I, I just the, think it's hilarious. The irony, they're, they're the ones fighting yeah, for the small guys. Oh, gosh. It, well, and for privacy reasons, too. I, yeah. I mean, it, really, it really is laughable. But what's, what's interesting, too, is I do understand, again, without having read this article, uh, there's probably a pretty good argument for any small application developer that is trying to understand their users algorithmically, which might make your skin crawl a little bit just hearing it said out loud, Facebook's going to do this and they're going to do it successfully even on iOS. Small developers aren't. If, if it is not easy for them to get cross-application data, whether mm -hmm. you want that or not, it will be harder for them to target people. So I can totally see the thread that's being pulled here, mm -hmm. but I, I am having trouble getting over the irony of Facebook actually <laughs> fighting against or for anything related, related to privacy. There is a, to... another side of the coin here. So if we look at a small developer, it's, it's, small, it's smaller than probably, I think, what people would think, but it is very well known, and it's Firefox, obviously. Mm -hmm. So most yeah. people know Mozilla, um, or maybe that's actually rough most people in our world <laughs> yours and i's world know mozilla uh, like my mom doesn't know what mozilla is no but most so it says most everyone is turned off by the move but firefox developer mozilla recently came out in full support of the measures meaning from apple yeah yeah calling on its users to petition apple to implement the changes as soon as possible mm -hmm. calling them a huge win for consumers so i think of this as an interesting part of it and this is my own opinion uh, and it could be completely off basis, but you know, Mozilla is is a company that is pretty small and is constantly fighting a bigger player in the space, mainly Google, in this particular scenario. Mm. And I think that there's an element of Google having such an advantage in tracking of users that they would rather, instead okay. of go get that data and and track users and try and play the same game, they would rather have that game be just levied, just like just get like. Level the field yeah. entirely. Be like, oh, That's we can't track them. Let's let's do more of a direct model. Like we have specific data on our types of users, and we'll work with ad providers that way. As instead of trying to go through this pool of everyone yeah. compete against the algorithm a, that Google has. That's once again. A, that is not what the article says. It is my opinion that you know they probably yeah. can't beat them in the mass market game. So they would rather make it to where they can better leverage their yeah. information to be able to do whatever it is they need to do. And, from and that's a that's a fair point. It's probably a reasonable assessment as well. I mean, I, I wouldn't treat Mozilla as that small of a player either. I think in the grand scheme of uh, browsers, Firefox is doing, quote, just fine. It does not compare to Microsoft's uh, Edge or Bing from a search perspective. Certainly doesn't compare to Google Chrome um, and, and then Google as a search engine as well. And I think that's a big part of it too, is that Mozilla doesn't have their own search engine, do they? And if they do, then it's like, they it's don't. really not no. on the In radar. fact, ironically, I, I think they default to Google. Um, yeah, but <laughs> right. The, uh, it, I I could be wrong because they they did default to Google for a very long time. I actually don't mm. use Mozilla. They may not default, yeah. Um, I always have it installed, but it, it's usually like my secondary 
browser. If something doesn't work in Chrome. A hundred percent, which is, which is almost never, um, but I, I do use it from time to time. And I did use it for a very long time. Um, that was my original browser to switch from IE, which I think is probably for a lot of people who move from IE um, in, you know, sooner rather than later, I think most of those people probably went to Mozilla and then the mass exodus happened when Chrome, you know, proliferated and what it is today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Just thought it was funny. Uh, I, I have another one on, on Facebook here. Bring it. And I, I, it's more of an opinion piece. Uh, I mentioned it to you kind of pre-show. <laughs> yeah. It was about Facebook is a doomsday machine, which I thought was just an incredible... That's just quite the clicky title It's there. Very, very clicky. It's from The Atlantic. So good job, The Atlantic, because I'm going to finish reading this article. Um, I, I went about halfway through it. The most interesting thing to me was how this article popped up on an episode where Bewley is not here, and I can't shame him um, for having not watched uh, one of the movies from the 80s that we keep shaming him about, um, War Games. Oh, Because yeah. it, it, it basically it goes on to define... Um, the the idea of what a doomsday is and and yeah. the whole concept of nuclear war is zero sum and if you do it everyone's gone so like yep. you should do it sort of thing and that's what <laughs> ultimately is sure is all about and i did learn a little bit here like this whole concept actually started in 1960 when there was a book written on what the idea of a doomsday machine was mm-hmm. uh, and it was talking about this idea of an automated event i don't know if I mean, i've heard the term doomsday before I don't know if you have ever read into what Doomsday is other than the... I, I have read a little bit into it, and, and I'm not going to remember you know, every salient detail, but yeah, my understanding is always it, it's not even so much like nation states and somebody with a, you know, a football, as you'd call it in the United States, where the president has to provide approval and pull out a couple of keys and hit a button and launch a nuke. It's if nukes detected, nukes get launched, right? So yep. it's, it's everyone responding in kind immediately just salvoing all of their missiles around the world as a you you screwed me i'm screwing you back sort of an automated response there's no human intervention yeah and and i'll and i'll read through the way they framed it here i just thought they painted a really interesting word picture um and it basically was like it goes like this um imagine a machine uh, that, that was never supposed to exist um <laughs> literally their words that was meant to be a thought experiment and it went like this the device was built with the sole purpose of destroying all human life. Now suppose that that machine is buried deep underground, but connected to a computer. Oh, good job on that one. Brilliant. <laughs> Which is in turn hooked up to sensors in cities and towns across the United States. The sensors are designed to sniff out signs of the impending apocalypse, not to prevent the end of the world, but to complete it. Yeah. If radiation levels suggest <laughs> nuclear explosions in, say, three American cities simultaneously, the sensors notify the doomsday machine, which is programmed to detonate several nuclear warheads in response. At this point, there's no going back. The fission chain reaction that produces the atomic explosion is initiated enough times over to extinguish all life on Earth. There's terrible flash of light great booming sound, and then a sustained roar. We have a word for the scale of destruction that the doomsday machine would unleash, and it is called Megadeth. Megadeth. Uh, I, I only knew as a band. So just that's the way awesome. they open this article yeah, that's awesome. is such a strong hook. And it, it goes into talking about basically the idea that we we used to worry about like this thermonuclear war between nations, primarily the one that um, we are a part of, and then another one that's not here, um, that's closer to or maybe located in Russia. Uh, and that was kind of one part of where this started, but it turned into this idea that with so many things being controlled by computers, and it's not even going Skynet on us, it's just talking about the sure. fact that like humans are in many respects. Yeah, yeah you know, controlled by the actions that, that they do and are influenced by things that happen on computers. And Facebook is the media company that sort of controls all of these things and, and basically has access to way too much stuff out there yeah. and is ultimately the, the controller and contributor to the scenario with which I just described to you. Yeah, so, I actually I love some piece. of the 
love some of the quotes in here. You know, there's one. It's like, whereas the Doomsday Machine was conceived uh, of as a world-ending device, so as the so so as to forestall the end of the world, Facebook started because of a semi-inebriated Harvard undergrad was bored one night. <laughs> but no single machine should be able to control the fate of the world's population, and that's both what the Doomsday Machine and Facebook are built to do. And and they're basically highlighting the dangers of its mega scale and the influence that it has. And of course, it it looks like it it focuses quite a bit on um, you know the United States election and some of the tweaks that have been very public to the algorithm for yep. news and truthiness in news or or avoiding hyperpartisan um, feeds basically dominating and that sort of stuff, which is really interesting. What they refer to as high accuracy news sources versus um, hyperpartisan news sources was the way that they said. But at the flip of a switch, they're able to dramatically change what people are seeing on average. And and I, I mean, I get the perspective, but it is incredible. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's actually kind of horrifying to read about that scale and and then look at some of the linkages to I don't know, stuff that you wouldn't want to see in, in a world population. That's yeah. uh, it's a scary amount of control. There's two key things here. One of which, so I was thinking to myself here, I was like, you know, I'm always asking the question, why? Like, what is, why have has this thought sort of permeated in this person's brain? So I thought to myself, you know, most of these very large entities, these are the big tech firms. They definitely have this sort of when at all costs sort of mentality. I mean, the way that they compete in the market is just ferocious. And so I was looking through here and they actually said the same thing a little, maybe midway down the article said the cycle of harm perpetuated by Facebook scale at any cost business model is plain to see. So once again, they, they, they phrased it differently. They said scale at any cost as opposed to win at any cost, but yeah, the idea is the same, especially with some of the things that we have seen come to fruition lately. And with that in mind, I thought between that and this idea that these algorithms are getting so incredibly complex that no one human or team of humans understands them completely in order to facilitate change, I thought to myself, between those two things, scale at any cost, uncontrollable AI leading to megadeth, that's a problem. <laughs> and that's where this article, I think, sort of came from. So I, anyways, this is another one that, you know, go check out The Atlantic, um, check out Facebook yeah. Day machine. It, it looks incredibly interesting. Read about half of it. It is a long article. Yeah, I, I got to go. I want to read this whole article. I, uh, I actually tossed that in the summary and it was great. Um, I'm, I'm actually enjoying this. I had, I had, I'll give Facebook credit here. Uh, without the news about TLDR, I would have basically forgotten about summary altogether. Um, and I don't know why I don't use it every morning on the show. I actually had planned to early on when we started this podcast and then again, totally forgot about it, but it is brilliant. Um, at least at, at pulling some interesting information out. So I'm totally going to start doing that. I agree. What's up, Mr. Bewley? Hey, Aaron guys. Am I on time? Bewley. Uh, right we just on started, time. actually. <laughs> All right. Let's get this <laughs> and party that started. Another episode of <laughs> 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 we are actually probably going to be wrapping up soon. But one topic we have not touched on yet, Ooh. assuming you haven't brought something really, really interesting that we hey? are just immediately no, I've been on wash calls. you for bringing up because we already talked about it, is uh, some of the some of the um, details around uh, Cozy Bear, which we talked about on Monday. Mm, and, so adorable. Um, mm. So the, the FireEye and uh, SolarWinds um, supply chain attacks, right? So uh, they, they announced that they think about 18,000 organizations around the world um, had downloaded the, the management tools that included the back door. No way. Um, this happened between March and June of this year. And, and to give you a feel for how dramatic they think this was, guidance to uh, federal agencies was to disconnect their systems entirely and right. start doing forensic analysis to determine how badly they have been busted. Yeah. Okay. So three different people texted me after the, after the SolarWinds one uh, two days ago. Mm. Let me read one of them. Uh, says, uh, what is going on with SolarWinds? They run our entire bit or like, what, what does it say? Listening to the podcast and they're all up in our business. Yep. <laughs> well, according to, to Russ, they're all up in everyone's business. They're, they well, are in everyone's business. It's a fact, yeah. <laughs> yeah we actually, and I won't disclose all, I won't disclose the actual numbers, but we ran the numbers and it was a, of, of people who have just basically 
purchased or renewed or did different things within SolarWinds this year within our business alone. So we're one of what, 3,000 VARs. It's oh, like, wow. it was staggering. It was a wow. very high number. And so we did that obviously so that we could sort of get the information out there, provide a plan, provide context of what was going on for the customers. But I just, when I saw the number of how many they are, I was, and, and by the way, that was of just the ones that had done it this year. So literally from January to year to date to, to December, it was uh, it was a very high number. And that doesn't mean that there aren't more that, that have it in, in many other respects, you know? And so that's, it was just crazy. Not surprising at all, because like I said, and I told yeah. this actually to my boss, I was like, listen, he, you know, he was asking to, he was like, how, how big of a deal does this seem? And I said, well, let me give you an indication. We don't usually ask customers if they have solar winds. We assume they have solar winds. And so it, that's where the the major problem came from. Although there was stuff, I mean, they they have patches. I mean, that was sort of solar winds guidance was basically we have updates, we have code that's clean, go patch it, like go get that stuff done. But yeah, the idea of being told, hey, yeah, go disconnect this stuff and, and do some forensic analysis to figure out how bad yeah. you've been hit. Uh, is pretty rough. And I did have some customers yesterday who had to move some long, long standing meetings, like literally one that was planned for four hours yesterday. And they had dispersed their teams to they're like, we're, we're having to figure out, you know, where we have issues here. So, but Russ, look on the bright side, man. You're I'm having another baby, bro. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that baby's not getting on Facebook. We're not putting her on that doomsday machine. That's she actually never she's, your she's plastered all over Facebook. Did so you still talk about Facebook, Facebook today? Did no, you talk not about at it? all. Why? No, Are there was not the a news? singular article. Because legit 80% of the front page of tech meme is Facebook. It's just Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, we might have spent some time on Facebook. We did spend a I ridiculous. tried to make it all about games today, but uh, Facebook Good. Facebook had to get its get its. Did you action. talk about Destiny 2? No, we didn't. You yeah, you got to get uh, you got to level up your armor, armor 2.0 now because oh, the previous nice. armor caps out at like 1360. You got to get the new armor that can go up to like 1460 or whatever. I'm embarrassed I'm like for you right now. I'm kidding. Bro. That sounds great. 1204. You're only at 1204? Well, you I got played? up to the, I got up to the played soft cap game? and then I went played? to counter strike, bro. <laughs> no, I know. It's like, get to the get to the soft cap. Tell your friends about it that you're better than them because yeah. you got there first. By That's right. You did. You did. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And and then move back to Counter-Strike. And yeah. that's, that's exactly what I did. That was the plan. No, I'm at like 1227, I think, or 1232, somewhere around there. Oh, look at you, so. big man. We're not going back to games. Nice try. Oh, okay, get out of here. Shut it down, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, what what else we got? Uh, I I do think we're we're getting. Oh, there one thing about the Solar Winds hack that I found very interesting, and I I recommend if you're interested in understanding a little bit more about some of the more clever things that happened as part of Cozy Bear. Um, apparently, they have a, a very uh, unique or or just sort of. Um, beautiful to take it from that article that we had a couple weeks back um, or days. I don't even remember when it happened. Anyways, uh, a way to get around multi-factor authentication, um, which is they, they effectively gained access to the tokens that are, are shared in the, like a corporate email server um, for Cisco's duo product. They were able to actually take the, the shared key and embed it into cookies for new uh, exploits. And because the cookie looked right, it would actually skip two-factor authentication. So um, it was just, it was a very curious and clever way to take advantage of uh, privileged information in that case and, and yeah. completely get around 2FA. I mean, it just shows just how incredibly thought out this, yes. this whole thing was and, and led to not good things. And speaking of not good things, I don't think we talked about this, but about the investor behavior in SolarWinds. Oh, we didn't. Yeah. Man, I, I hate to be the super cynic here, but 
I, I feel like insider trading, whether it's coming from government officials or people in corporate America, that's just the kind of corruption that we wear on our sleeves as Americans. And oh, yeah. I see very little coming from this. If for no other reason than when you are successful in taking advantage of trades like this, you put yourself in a position to have enough money to make it uncomfortable for the government to keep pursuing you legally. Yep. And it basically what it says is, is that top investors in SolarWinds, the Texas-based company whose software was breached in a major Russian cyber attack, sold millions of dollars in stock days before the intrusion was revealed. Yep. So I'm sure that was totally unexpected. And I would also state that there are names they'll be held accountable. That, <laughs> that we know. Yeah, like, I saw some of those names. I'm not going to state the names. No. Um, if you find the article yourself, by all means, because I am I'm not going to discuss in particular one of these investing groups. Nope. Uh, but kind of a big deal. Yep. It's a bad <laughs> look for sure. It, it definitely it definitely does not look good. It looks like uh, I see I see one number of more than fifteen million dollars in shares last month were were sold. So not a yeah. small amount. And well, and especially realizing that, that the the hack itself was perpetrated uh, from like April to July, and then it was just made public, you know, a week ago. Which they they there is a gap there. One because they probably didn't identify it until somewhat more recently, right? And then two, um, they they have to patch it and fix it before they make it public, so that other actors don't immediately go and see if they can take advantage of the right. methods. So they're looking for you know major security patches to come out from major vendors that are related to these kinds of hacks. Other corporations, not unlike VMware, Microsoft, right? They're going to get a chance to look at this stuff internally so that they can see if there are other similar vectors in their products that are equally, you know, supply chain horrific. And um, so supply they've chain known about horrific. this. Yeah, nice. no, that's that's a. I'm pretty sure saw that in a serious article somewhere. <laughs> um, any, anyways, my my point being. The, They've known about this for long enough for that to oh, be yeah. suspect. For sure. Actually, I just saw a different number here between two key groups here, because uh, it's just not it's not just a, it's not just a singular uh, person. Uh, over 170 million dollars of shares wow. have been sold. So, small yeah, all dollars. Yeah, small. You know. No big deal. Um, it looks like the SolarWinds product that was compromised, Orion, as it's being stated, mm -hmm. brought in roughly $343 million in the first nine months of the year. Just to once again give you an idea of the scale that that this could be. So it says 45% of the company's total revenue for the period. Wow. I mean, it's, yeah. Big. Yeah, so it's going to have a profound impact, or at least they expected it. It could have a profound impact on their bottom line, and uh, I, it's it's always interesting, right? FireEye security organization, SolarWinds, obviously has net, access to customers' network and yep. very many other things. Like you quite said, quite literally on is Monday, a monitoring tool. They, <laughs> they, they aren't a security company, but they are expected to be highly secure because of what information they're getting access to. I, I think what's important to remember um, is is that. Like this can and probably will happen to everyone, right? Like there's if if you're in a room and somebody is bashing FireEye or SolarWinds for this right now, I would say that that is a completely misplaced directive because chances are these kinds of exploits are going to be found all the time. It's just keep your stuff patched and up to date. Pay attention to what's going there. Try to limit exposure. There's a lot of good stuff that that can be done to try to prevent this from being as catastrophic as I'm sure it's going to be for a lot of organizations. Um, stopping it entirely is probably not possible. Yeah, and there's definitely changes that, that we need to make in the security space. And, and I'm certain sure. people are working on them. <clears throat> I was listening to a podcast yesterday, the day before, it was a security podcast. It wasn't actually on this topic. It was on a, a completely different topic. Uh, but they, someone provided an interesting perspective. And they've been in the industry now for 30, 40 years, focusing on security, CISO multiple times. And they were just providing this perspective that said, listen, a lot of the things that we do from a security perspective have, have they've if, like, they've sort of evolved a little bit over time, but for the most part, they're all rooted in the same fundamentals that we've done since the first virus was discovered in 1987. 
And so the problem is, is that the bad actors have evolved dramatically. And so yeah. it's always a difficult thing to try because it's a big, it's sort of a guessing game uh, to try and get ahead of this. But it was interesting to see that perspective of we may need to change faster than, than we are changing in order to try and get ahead of these things. And so, you know, maybe this will be eye-opening because it's really true. Yeah. I mean, there was an article, I can't find it. But it basically was stating that obviously the U.S. government spends a lot of money. They've spent multiple billions of dollars to try to prevent this type of thing from happening. And, and then obviously it happened. And so it just states that like you can do probably everything possible to do. I'm assuming. I'm just making the assumption. I don't actually know. Uh, and then, you know, who knows? One of your vendors didn't. And and they were able to get that's, circumvented. See, see, I think that's that's the point, though. Like that, that's what makes this so interesting. Um, I, I don't even want to say scary per se, but it is kind of scary. Is that the problem with changing the way that we approach security dramatically? Is that most organizations, and I'm I'm going to say that most organizations quite simply don't have the expertise or the personnel to make those kinds of dramatic security changes, which means the only way that you're going to accomplish that broadly is to rely on third parties. And the third parties are the new target because it's the easiest way to get access to the most valuable information. So sure. it, it's, it's, it is very interesting and it is, it is scary actually that the most likely third party vendors to provide the security context that is important are soon to be the most likely ones that are going to be exploited because everyone's using them, right? It, it, this is the conundrum I brought up on Twitter uh, right when this was announced is that it, as a small operation, especially government groups, right, which are not usually the most funded as an example, they are not going to have security staff necessarily to be able to change as quickly and play the war games that you were just talking about. Right. They're always going to rely on third-party vendors to get it done. And this attack was at the third-party vendor because it gives them access to 18,000 environments, and then they can pick and choose the most valuable and focus their efforts on it. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird escalation that we're kind of experiencing right now. Yeah, and, and the actual premise of this particular article i did just find it um I, I i don't have access to actually read it um but it it states that the u.s government spent billions on a on a system um says a system i'm almost certain it is multiple uh for detecting hacks and then the sub line to it says the russians outsmarted it yeah so, so this isn't necessarily about preventing hacks. It's about no, no, no. notifying that they have been hacked. So that, well, that would be the system responsible yeah. in this particular moment for yeah. the bad thing has happened, you know, find it. And, and who knows, maybe the system did ultimately maybe find something. But it, I think the actual red flag came from SolarWinds and FireEye themselves. I think both of them found it and then sort of I, made I it. believe... FireEye identified it, and then they identified that it was backdoor that was a SolarWinds issue. So if, if I was reading that correctly, and uh, again, anybody that knows more about that wants to come on and actually really get into it, I think that would be a really interesting show. Yeah. We, we talk uh, about security I'll, I'll stuff ask, a lot. Uh, I'll ask some of my security guys. I bet I bet there's a couple of them that will want to come on and, and discuss these great. systems more. I know we got a few. It's it is neat. This is a it's part of the industry that I'm getting to learn a lot more about uh, in my role at VMware, especially after on the heels of the carbon black acquisition, right? And what I'm finding is that prevention is obviously a big part of security, but identification, rapid identification of something that's gone wrong is a huge, huge part of what's happening because we we can't win the escalation war with with all of the bad actors that are out there, especially yeah. those with effectively bottomless pockets. Uh, a la state funded <laughs> right. organizations. Um, and then then being able to isolate, minimize the blast radius and recover from it cleanly, right? So the those kind of four pillars to a security construct, if you don't have all four, you're going to have a bad day, right? Yep. 
you got it as a perfect example. If if your organization was told on Sunday that they need to isolate their entire network and start looking through forensically to determine what was broken, you better have a way to restore, even with a little bit of data loss, as we would say, right? Like a, a recovery point objective mm-hmm. to go back to where where it used to be before you think this exploit happened. Because that's better than not having any business operations while you do the forensic side of this. So there's a there's a lot there's a lot of baggage that goes into this stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully we can stay ahead of it or at least go toe to toe. Well, right now let's stay more secure and let's shut it down. No yes. access anymore. No access. And while we're shutting down your networks, we're going to shut down this podcast. Mm-hmm. That brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. We hope you enjoyed it. We missed Aaron. He uh, briefly showed up, but then he ghosted on us once again. I'm not really sure what happened there. We'll talk to him about it later. Maybe we'll update you on Friday where we have a very special guest joining us again. And I'm Ooh. going to leave that as a surprise. But thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for your support. Have a great Wednesday, and we will talk to you on Friday. Thanks, everybody. Later.